0: Section 33 of Lodore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lodore by Mary Shelley, Volume 2, Chapter 15. How like a winter hath my absence been from thee, the pleasure of the fleeting year. WHAT FREEZINGS HAVE I FELT, WHAT DARK DAYS SEEN, WHAT OLD DECEMBER'S BARENESS EVERYWHERE. Shakespeare. Ethel cheered herself to amuse her aunt, and as in her days of hopeless love, she tried to shorten the hours by occupation. It was difficult, for all her thoughts were employed in conjectures as to where Edward was, what doing, in looking at her watch and following in her mind all his actions or in meditating how hereafter she might remedy any remissness on her part so tender was her conscience and best contribute to his happiness such reveries beguiled many hours and enabled her to endure with some show of courage the pains of absence each day she heard from him each day she wrote and this entire pouring out of herself on paper formed the charm of her existence she endeavoured to persuade him how fortunate their lot might hereafter be how many of his fears were unfounded or misplaced remember dearest love she said that i have nothing of the fine lady about me i do not even feel the want of those luxuries so necessary to most women this i owe to my father it was his first care while he brought me up in the most jealous retirement to render me independent of the services of others solitude is to me no evil and the delight of my life would be to wait upon you i am not therefore an object of pity when fortunes deprives me of the appurtenances of wealth which rather annoy than serve me my devotion and sacrifice as you are pleased to call the intense wish of my heart to contribute to your happiness are nothing i sacrifice all when i give up one hour of your society there is the sting there the merit of my permitting you to go without me i can ill bear it i am impatient and weak do not then edward dearest task me too far recall me to your side if your return is delayed recall your fond girl to the place near your heart where she desires to remain for ever." Villiers answered with few but expressive words of gratitude and fidelity. His letters breathed disappointment and anxiety. It is too true, he said, as I found it announced when I first came to town, my father is married. He got the bands published in an obscure church in London. He persuaded Miss Gregory to elope with him, and they are married her father is furious he returns every letter unopened his house and heart he says are still open to his daughter but thee i will not repeat his words who stole her from him shall never benefit by a shilling of his money let her return and all shall be pardoned let her remain with her husband and starve he cares not my father has spent much time and more money on this pursuit. In the hope of securing many thousands, he raised hundreds at a prodigal and ruinous interest, which must now be paid. He has not ten pounds in the world, so he says. My belief is that he is going abroad to secure to himself the payment of the scanty remnant of his income. I have no hopes. I would beg at the corner of a street rather than apply to a man who never has been apparent to me and whose last act is that of a villain excuse me you will be angry that i speak thus of my father but i know that he speaks of the poor girl he has deluded with a bitterness and insult which prove what his views were in marrying her in this moment of absolute beggary my only resource is to raise money i believe i shall succeed and the moment i have put things in train WITH WHAT heartfelt, WHAT UNSPEAKABLE JOY SHALL I LEAVE THIS MISERABLE PLACE, FOR MY OWN ETHEL'S SIDE, LONG TO REMAIN. Valier's LETTERS VARIED LITTLE, BUT YET THEY GOT MORE DESPONDING, AND ETHEL GREW VERY IMPATIENT TO SEE HIM AGAIN. SHE HAD COUNTED THE DAYS OF HER WEEK, THEY WERE FULFILLED, AND HER HUSBAND DID NOT RETURN. EVERYTHING DEPENDED, HE SAID, ON HIS PRESENCE and he must remain yet for another day or two. At first he implored her to be patient. He besought her, as she loved him, to endure their separation yet for a few more days. His letters were very short, but all in this style. They were imperative with his wife, she obeyed. Yet she did so, she told him, against her will and against her sense of right. She ought to be at his side to cheer him under his difficulties. She had married him because she loved him, and because the first and only wish of her heart was to conduce to his happiness. To travel together, to enjoy society and the beauties of nature in each other's society, were indeed blessings, and she valued them. But there was another, dearer still, of which she felt herself defrauded, and for which she yearned. The aim of my life, and its only real joy, she said, is to make your existence happier than it would have been without me when i know and feel that such a moment or hour has been passed by you with sensations of pleasure and that through me i have fulfilled the purpose of my destiny deprived of the opportunity to accomplish this i am bereft of that for which i breathe you speak as if i were better off here than if i shared the inconveniences of your lot is not this strange language my own Edward you talk of security and comfort where can I be so secure as near you and for comfort what heart elevating joy it would be to exchange this barren meager scene of absence for the delight the comfort of seeing you of waiting on you I do not ask you to hasten your return so as to injure your prospects but permit me to join you would not London itself, dismal as you describe it, become sunny and glad if Ethel were with you? To these adjurations Villiers scarcely replied. Time crept on. Three weeks had already elapsed. Now and then a day intervened, and he did not write, and his wife's anxiety grew to an intolerable pitch. She did not for an instant suspect his faith but she feared that he must be utterly miserable since he shrunk from communicating his feelings to her his last letter was brief i have just come from my solicitor he said and have but time to say that i must go there again to-morrow so i shall not be with you oh the heavy hours in this dark prison you will reward me and make me forget them when i see you but how shall i pass the time till then these words made Ethel conceive the idea of joining him in town. He would not, he could not be angry. He could not bring his mind to ask her to share his discomforts, but ought she not to volunteer, to insist upon his permitting her to come? Permit! The same pride that prevented his asking would induce him to refuse her request. But should she do wrong if, without his express permission, she were to join him? a thrill half fear half transport made her heart's blood stand still at the thought the day after this last she got no letter the following day was monday and there would be no post from town her resolution was taken and she told her aunt that she should go up to london the following day mrs elizabeth knew little of the actual circumstances of the young pair villiers had made it an express condition THAT SHE SHOULD NOT BE INFORMED OF THEIR DIFFICULTIES, FOR HE WAS RESOLUTE NOT TO TAKE FROM HER LITTLE STORE, WHICH, IN THE WAY SHE LIVED, WAS SUFFICIENT, YET BARELY SO, FOR HER WANTS. SHE DID NOT QUESTION HER NIECE AS TO THE JOURNEY. SHE IMAGINED THAT IT WAS A THING ARRANGED. BUT ETHEL HERSELF WAS FULL OF PERPLEXITY. SHE REMEMBERED WHAT Villiers HAD SAID OF EXPENSE. SHE KNEW THAT HE WOULD BE DEEPLY HURT IF SHE USED A PUBLIC CONVEYANCE and yet to go post would consume the little money she had left and she did not like to reach london penniless she began to talk to her aunt and faltered out something about want of money for posting the good lady's purse was instantly in her hand ethel had not the same horror as her husband of pecuniary obligation she was too inexperienced to know its annoyances and in the present instance to receive a small sum from her aunt appeared to her an affair that did not merit hesitation she took twenty pounds for her journey and felt her heart lighter there yet remained another question hitherto they had travelled in their own carriage with a valet and lady's-maid the had taken his servant to town with him in a postscript to one of his letters he said i was able to recommend Lorry to a good place so i have parted with him and I shall not take another servant at this moment. Laurie had been long and faithfully attached to her husband, who had never lived without an attendant, and who from his careless habits was peculiarly helpless. Ethel felt that this dismissal was a measure of economy, and that she ought to imitate it. Still, as any measure to be taken always frightened her, she had not courage to discharge her maid, but resolved to go up to town without her. Aunt Bessie was shocked at her going alone, but Ethel was firm. Nothing could happen to her, and she should prove to Edward her readiness to endure privation. On Monday, at eleven in the forenoon, on the twenty-eighth of November, Ethel, having put together but a few things, for she expected a speedy return, stepped into her travelling chariot, and began her journey to town. She was all delight at the idea of seeing Edward. She reproached herself for having so long delayed giving this proof of her earnest affection. She listened with beaming smiles to all her aunt's injunctions and cautions, and, the carriage once in motion, drawing her shawl round her as she sat in the corner, looking on the despoiled yet clear prospect, her mind was filled with the most agreeable reveries, her heart soothed by the dearest anticipations to pay the post horses, to gift the postillion herself were all events for her she felt proud edward said i must begin to learn the ways of the world and this is my first lesson in economy and care she thought as she put into the postboy's hand just double the sum he had ever received before and how good and attentive and willing everybody is i am sure women can very well travel alone every one is respectful and desirous to serve was her next internal remark as she undrew her little silken purse to give a waiter half a crown who had brought her a glass of water and whose extreme alacrity struck her as so very kind-hearted her spirits flagged as the day advanced in spite of herself an uneasy feeling diffused itself through her mind when the sun going down a misty, chilly twilight crept over the landscape. Had she done right, she asked herself. Would Edward indeed be glad to see her? She felt half frightened at her temerity, alarmed at the length of her journey, timid when she thought of the vast London she was about to enter without any certain bourne. She supposed that Valier's went each day to his club, and she knew that he lodged in Duke Street, St. James's, but she was ignorant of the number of the house, and the street itself was unknown to her. She did not remember ever to have been in it in her life. Her carriage entered labyrinthine London by Blackwall, and threaded the wilds of Lothbury. A dense and ever thickening mist, palpable, yellow, and impervious to the eye, enveloped the whole town. Ethel had heard of a November fog, but she had never witnessed one and the idea of it did not occur to her memory. She was half frightened, thinking that some strange phenomena were going on, and fancying that her postillion was hurrying forward in terror. At last, in Cheapside, they stopped, jammed up by carts and coaches, and then she contrived to make herself heard, asking what was the matter. The word Eclipse hung upon her lips. Only, ma'am, the street has got blocked up like in the fog we shall get on presently the word fog solved the mystery and again her thoughts were with villiers what a horrible place for him to live in and he had been enduring all this wretchedness while she was breathing the pure atmosphere of the country again they proceeded through the murky air and through an infinitude of mischances the noise the hubbub the crowd as she could distinguish it as if veiled by dirty gauze by the lights in the shops all agitated and vexed her through fleet street and the strand they went and it seemed as if their progress would never come to an end the whole previous journey from longfield was short in comparison to this tedious procession twenty times she longed to get out and walk at last they got free and with a quicker pace drove up to the door of the union club in charing cross the postboy called one of the waiters to the carriage door and ethel asked is mr valliers here mr valliers ma'am has left town ethel was aghast she had watched assiduously along the road yet she had felt certain that if he had meant to come she would have seen him on sunday until this moment she had not entertained a real doubt but that she should find him she asked falteringly when did he go last week ma'am last thursday i think it was ethel breathed again the man's information must be false she was too inexperienced to be aware that servants and common people have a singular tact in selecting the most unpleasant intelligence "'and being very alert in communicating it. "'Do you know,' she inquired, "'where Mr. Valier's lodge is?' "'Can't say indeed, ma'am, "'but the porter knows. "'Here, Saunders.' "'No Saunders answered. "'The porter's not in the way, "'but if you can wait, ma'am, "'he'll be back presently.' "'The waiter disappeared. "'The post-boy came up. "'He touched his hat. "'Wait,' said Ethel, we must wait a little and he removed himself to the horses heads ethel sat in her lonely corner shrouded by fog and darkness watching every face as it passed under the lamp near fancying that edward might appear among them the ugly faces that haunt in quick succession the imagination of one oppressed by nightmare might vie with those that passed successively in review before ethel most of them hurried on looking neither to the right nor left some entered the house some glanced at her carriage one or two perceiving a bonnet evidently questioned the waiter he stood there for her own service ethel thought and she watched his every movement his successive disappearances and returns the people he talked to once she signed to him to come but no ma'am the porter has not come back yet was all his answer at last after having stood half whistling for some five minutes it appeared to ethel half an hour without having received any visible communication he suddenly came up to the carriage door saying the porter could not stay to speak to you ma'am he was in such a hurry he says mr villiers lodges in duke street st james's he should know the house, but has forgotten the number then i must wait till he comes back again I knew all that before. Will he be long? A long time, ma'am, two hours at least. He said that the woman of the ouse is a widow woman, Mrs. Durham. Thus, as if by torture, but as with the whipping boys of old, hers was the torture, not the delinquent's, Ethel extracted some information from the stupid, conceited fellow on she went to duke street to discover mrs durham's residence a few wrong doors were knocked at and a beer-boy at last was the mercury that brought the impatient longing wife to the threshold of her husband's residence happy beer-boy she gave him a sovereign he had never been so rich in his life before such chance medleys do occur in this strange world End of Volume 2, Chapter 15. Recording by Linda Johnson.